everyone. Welcome to the Racing Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Crandall. Thank you for tuning in this week. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Don Hawk is my guest. He is the CEO of SRX. That is the Superstar Racing Experience. Don just wrapped up his first year with the program, second year for SRX to be on track. And we are going to break down everything from the season as well as look ahead. And there's a lot of news nuggets in this conversation. Again, if you're a fan of SRX, you're going to want to hear about their long-term vision, new investors, having the resources and financial capabilities to now look a couple years down the road and everything that could be coming. So Don drops a lot of information in this podcast and he is the perfect person to do that. Not only, as I said, because he is the CEO of the organization, but his business acumen and his time in racing is plenty. Don recently left, well, I guess I shouldn't say recently, it was the end of 2021, as you're going to hear, he left Speedway Motorsports. He was the chief racing development officer for Speedway Motorsports and the Smith family for many, many years. I think about 14 plus years he was associated with the Smith family. But Don has also worked and for and with NASCAR, so connected to the France family. He also goes back to the days of Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, longtime business consultant to Dale Earnhardt, as well as many other drivers. You're going to hear about Alan Kowicki. So there is so much in this podcast. And again, I think you're really going to enjoy it if you're curious about racing, the business of racing, and certainly about SRX. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. Here's Don Hawk on the Racing Writers Podcast. We do. We have plenty to talk about. We finally made it happen. Of course, the natural thing to start with, Don, is SRX. Second season wrapped up about a month or so ago now. It's been a while. Let's debrief. Let's break it down. It was your first being a part of SRX, but it was their second season. Break it down from your perspective of you going in there, how the season went, some of the good, the bad, and just what your, I guess, overall takeaways are of uh, putting that behind you. Yeah, I'm glad I know what I know today versus what I knew then, right? So to give you the timeline, Kelly, it, it was December 23rd, I get a text message from George Pine and Sandy Montag saying, hey, uh, are you in a position to sign an NDA? And I said, who wouldn't with you two guys? And so I said, sure, send it to me. So they send it. And this is this is like crazy. But this is December 23rd. I sent it back at 8.07 at night and sign it. And at 8.11, I got a request for a Zoom call on Christmas Eve. And I looked at my wife and I'm like, what do you think I should do? And she said, well, the kids are all traveling. You and I are home alone. Why don't you see what they want? And I said, all right, let's schedule it. So I, we scheduled it. And the first conversation was literally December 24th. It was a Zoom call. And after that, I had a, a level of interest, but I had some people that I wanted to talk to. And so I told them that, you know, I wanted to check off a few boxes first. And one of those was NASCAR. One of those was Tony Stewart, and one of those was Ray Everham, because I wanted to know why is it that Ray Everham, all of a sudden, as part owner and founder, was stepping away from day-to-day operations, and I've known Ray for a long time. So Ray and I actually met on New Year's Eve for two hours. So this, the, the Christmas spirit was uh, SRX this year. 
All right, let's put the timeline there together because you said obviously December 23rd, you get the text message. The conversation was Christmas Eve. You had announced, I think it was December 21st-ish around that time that you and Speedway Motorsports were parting ways after over a decade together. So when you left Speedway Motorsports at the time, you were going to do a personal sports management firm. So SRX was not on the radar. That was not at all tied into you leaving Speedway Motorsports. You thought you were going to go do something else. And then SRX came up, right? 100%. That's good, good chronology. <laughs> so I, I literally, and, and, and the Speedway Motorsports thing wasn't a sudden thing. Right. I actually approached the board. I think I shared some of this with you previously in the media center. I actually approached the board June or July of the previous year. And I was like, Hey, I, you know, I, I, I want to do some things in my personal and professional bucket list. Bruton's not, you know, in the greatest shape right now, but I'd like to still, you know, visit them, stay with them. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, here's what I, I'd actually like to step away from the company. And so I proactively went to them and, um, they're like, what, why? And I said, well, someday I don't want somebody walking in and handing me an envelope and saying, hey, thanks a lot for everything you did with Bruton for all these years. We really appreciate it. Have fun. I said, I, I actually want to just enjoy this time in my life. And so I literally then met with Marcus a couple of times and he's like, hey, look, you don't have to go anywhere. You can stay here. Well, do you want to retire? I'm like, no, I'm not going to retire. Not at all. And he was standing in my office at the Speedway. And as you recall, my office overlooks the start finish line kind of just beyond it. And Marcus finally, after like one or two or three different conversations on, he was looking out my window one time and he goes, you want to go back there, don't you? Cause that's where I started. I started in the, in the garage. I started in the infield. I started. So like I said, yeah, may, that's, that's a lot of it, Marcus. So we worked it out and like, literally we were going to announce it at the Roval. We didn't, we were going to announce it at NASCAR banquet. We didn't. Finally, I just went to them and said, look, I want to announce it so I can look for something. I I, I need to put something in my portfolio because I am telling you guys I'm not retiring. And so SRX wasn't even a thought. SRX was not even on the radar. I watched all the races, by the way, from the hotel room, just like the rest of the world did, you know, when we were traveling in NASCAR circuit. So um, interesting dynamic, but you, you you're really great on your timeline. That's how it went. So I think it was, you know, mid-December to late December, we announced it officially. I really didn't even sign my departure paperwork until January of the following year. And in, in the middle sales in this SRX deal. So if you want, I'll go back to the original question, which was, what was SRX like when you jumped in the ship, right? I got to tell you, I had uh, three employees. One was in sales. One was in competition and one was in the office. Uh, the race cars were still sitting on casters the way they came off the racetrack at Nashville. And um, this was January 3rd or 4th, whatever the first day of the new year was. I walked in the shop and there was nobody working on race cars. We had a deal with CBS. We had six races that we had a letter of intent for, but nobody completed the sanction agreements with the speedways nobody talked to the race car drivers yet and completed any deals. So literally the first 38 days was I did six sanction agreements, assigned about 18 of the race car drivers. We ended up with 24 total. 
then began to like look at this, the financial model of how many sponsors do they have? How many more do we need? How do we get there? So the reason I joked with you before, if I knew today what I knew then, I might have said no, you know. But you know what? You, you know me. I, I like to do things, right? So I, I couldn't I couldn't just go into it half-hearted. So like about 45 days into it, my wife looks at me and goes, you definitely didn't retire. She, you know, because I was I was kind of living at the shop and living on the phone. And the owners were really heavily involved at that point, trying to like, what do you think? Where are we going to go? And I said, don't worry about it. We're going to be good. It's, it's going to take some time. to. So we hired some people. We, we parsed out the business a little bit so that we could get the race cars ready and somebody to ship them. And um, it was it was quite a challenge because there was a moment in time where people didn't think SRX2 was going to happen. So the neat thing about it is, and you'll probably get to it in this interview, is SRX2 happened. SRX3 is about to happen. And there's even more beyond that. So it's pretty exciting. I, I kind of enjoy it, you know, because race car has gone fast. I like how you said there about making sure everybody understood you weren't retiring because there was a quote in the press release when you announced you were leaving Speedway Motorsports that you said that you wanted to use the fuel left in the tank to check off things on your business and personal bucket list. So there, it was never a doubt to you that you were going to end up doing something else. It's just amazing, as we touched on, the timeline of how all of a sudden you thought you were going to do the sports management firm, which, by the what, what came of that? As soon, Because, again, SRX popped up. So what became of the firm? The firm's still happening. It's um, I've had that firm since early in the 90s, never let it go. And so, um, like, literally, that firm has been really good to me over the years when when Dale Earnhardt passed away, he actually, when I left DEI, I should say, I already had that company in existence. And that company had a, after I left DEI, a lot of people don't know this, I had a multi-year agreement with Dale Earnhardt. I had drivers under contract like Hornaday, Skinner, Craven, Nadu, Nemechek, like I'm trying to think, three pro golfers. Uh, I, I left somebody out there and not on purpose, but uh, Carrie Earnhardt. So I, I had like nine race car drivers and stuff. So I'm doing, and I had an, an, a contract with NASCAR. I was a consultant to NASCAR. So I'm doing all this stuff. And then finally George Pine calls me up ironically, who's, who's this like kind of chief operating officer with Brian France. Right. And he says, Hey Hawk, would you be uh, willing to entertain a conversation? And I'm like about, and he goes, I'm going to have someone to give you a call. And this is a Sunday morning. I get a phone call from George's assistant and she says to me, hey, can you meet us at the racetrack um, in Rockingham? Um, George wants to talk to you. And I'm like, OK. So I go there and NASCAR says, hey, can we buy out our contract with you? Would you be willing to go to work with for us? And I'm like, yeah, what, what do you want me to do? And it was that that point, it was to be the head of the uh, NASCAR Modified Series what was then known as the Bush North, Winston West, which is now the K&N. It was the, the AutoZone Elite Series. Um, the NASCAR Weekly Series, 67 racetracks all across America and all their regional racing. And they wanted me to do some stuff at the Research and Development Center. I'm like, okay, great. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. So I did that. But I never let go of the company, Hawk Sports Management. So fast forward to now and like, I told George and Sandy on the first call, I'm like, guys, I, I have a client that I've already committed to 
which is my nephew, Briggs Danner, who has, um, he's leading the points right now in USAC East. Um, he's got 10 wins for the year right now. It looks like, you know, the wheels would really literally have to fall off for him not to win the championship. And so, um, but it's my, it's, it's, it's a great story because not only is it my nephew and great nephew that are involved, but it's his grandfather is the one that got me into car racing when I was seven and eight years old. So like my first client at Hawk Sports Management before the SRX call was my own flesh and blood. And I did the deal for free. So I'm already in the hole, right? But I'm in the hole with family because I'm not going to charge him a dime because his grandfather is the one that took me to the racetrack at Dorney Park Speedway in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Nazareth Speedway. And I would literally lay on the floor of the tow truck while we would go in to the racetrack because I couldn't sign the gate back gate sheet. I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I was seven and eight laying in the floor of a pick of a tow truck. We'd go through the gate, you know, he'd sign in, I'm laying on the floor and I had to stay in the truck until it started to get dusk or dark because, you know, people, but after a while they get used to seeing me and, you know, eventually my brother-in-law taught me how to not only hook up a race car, but to drive a tow truck. So I literally could hook up a car to a tow truck and drive the truck by the time I was 12 and 13 years old. And it, it was crazy. I mean, I can remember some really good dirt race car drivers at Nazareth when I back up to the tow truck, they'd be like screaming because they're already mad. They wrecked. Right. And they're gone. Who get that kid away from my car. He's going to. And like my brother in looked at me. He's like, he can hook up one better than you. Just trust him. And like I'd hook it up and I'd tow it away and drop it at their stall. Right. So that's a little slice of my life. But that's that's what I wanted to do to start my company was things I wanted to check off. And Briggs Danner was one of those things like um, and and you know, about a year and a half earlier, you know, my, my brother-in-law died. Who's the one who took me to all those car races. And they asked me to do the eulogy at his funeral. And I did. And, and I told the story, I just told you, like, I wouldn't be in racing if it wasn't for my own brother-in-law. And he did that at an early age. And guess where we were short track racing. We were short track racing in America. And I get the chills right now telling that story because where am I at now in my career? I'm right back to short track racing. My first client was a short track racer. And so second client, by the time this comes out, I, I'm allowed to let you know, my, there's another client that's not been announced publicly yet. I told you that in the media center, there's more stuff coming. Um, I'm going to be a consultant to um, ACBJ, the business journal, the sports business journal, Hemmings Motors, NASCAR, NASCAR Scene, NASCAR Illustrated, a lot of the licensed stuff they have in their portfolio, a lot of the business stuff and the sports business stuff. I developed a very healthy relationship over the years with Whit Shaw. And um, we just even during COVID, we were visiting each other or we were talking on the phone or emailing back and forth. And so that hasn't publicly been announced yet, but it, it's OK to leak oil on that because I'm, I'm already doing some work on it. Um, and then SRX is my third client, but it's so much work at SRX, but it's fun. So I don't know that I'm going to sign anymore. And I don't know that that'd be fair to sign anymore. So I don't know if that answers your question enough. By the time that this comes out, like you said, I'm sure that will have been announced your client. But getting back to SRX, you just touched on everything there about how you got into racing and 
obviously your love of business is very clear. People can read about that when they research you. And you've talked about that before. In what ways, Don, was or is SRX a new challenge in business for you? Because you said when we started talking, you wish you knew now what you did then. And you spent so much time on the phone just at the beginning because there was three employees and things weren't done. In what ways has signing up with SRX been a new challenge for you in business, unlike anything you've done before? Yeah, it, it's um, it, it's different than DEI because when I got to DEI, we had nothing. We started from scratch. We built a building and we built three cup teams. We took the cup te- the Bush Grand National team from part-time to full-time. We put Dale Jr. in the car eventually. We take and build from scratch a truck team. All of that was like, wow, we, we, we did that from scratch. This time I walk in and the cars are there, the building's there, and the pieces are there, but the people aren't. So I'm like, oh my, you know, now we got to piece this together because it, it was an unbelievable challenge. Because remember, from my first day was January 3rd or 4th, our first race was June 18th. And you had 16 race cars you had to get ready, plus have a crew. Somebody had to, to not only haul them to the racetrack, but to the next one, the next one, the next one, because we're six consecutive weekends. You then have to have people that are able to work on them during the weekends, right? And people that can work on them during the week. And oh, by the way, remember, they were still in the same condition. They came off the track in Nashville, same donuts on the doors that were on them when they left Nashville. So that's where it was. It was kind of a challenge. But here, those people that don't know me, um, I, I like those kind of things. Like I, 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 when I was in the car business, they used to say, um, give Hawk the junk and he'll figure it out and so srx wasn't junk it just was something that needed like a rubik's cube it needed to be twisted until i could get blue on one side yellow on another orange on another green on another and then red and then it was it was literally time to go when when we got that point so i like challenges um srx was a challenge and here's more breaking news so it was so much fun i i was approached by the owners to sign up for year two and I signed up for year two and beyond. And it'll soon be announced also that I'm going to be a stakeholder in the company as well. You're getting a lot of breaking news. (laughs) All right. Well, it makes me feel like I'm doing my job. I want to touch more on what is to come for SRX. As you keep alluding to, there's going to be season three, so on and so forth. But let me back up and also talk about when you come in, you were drawn to this, obviously you agreed to do it. You come, you sign on, you hear their pitch. Were there things that you envisioned or you wanted to do coming in? Were you able to do them? Or how did the season unfold uh, compared to maybe what you thought it was going to be when you took on this role? Yeah, it was a little of both. Great question. But I have a high, high regard for Ray Abraham, and I've got a high, high regard for Tony Stewart. And so... The thing I identified quickly is in business, you got to know what you know and you got to know what you don't know. The one thing I knew for sure is I'm not Ray Abraham. So if somebody wanted me to find him two tenths of a second by adjusting, you know, the race car, I, I can't find you that two tenths of a second like Ray Abraham can. But the thing that even Ray asked me and Tony asked me was, and then Tony told Ray, hey, this is how he's really wired, is I looked right at Ray when he said, what are you going to do? when I'm not there, how are you going to get this thing? And I said, Ray, 
I'm not you, but I'm going to find two people that equal you and I'm going to hire them. And literally when Tony Stewart was on the phone with me, after he talked to Ray, he goes, yeah, Ray told me that story. And he said, I told him, I said, look, Huck is crazy like that. He's going to look at your strengths, Ray. And he's going to say, who has 60% of those? Who has another 40? And he's going to come out with the 100. And it may take two people, but he's going to get it done. And that's literally what I did. I just started shopping around because how many times are you going to find another Ray? You know, so you, that's that's not going to be very likely, right? Same thing. Imagine if it was Ray that stayed and Tony that left. How do you find another Tony? Right? It's like hard to do. So that's for me. It was it was like a this this matrix of piecing the puzzle together that that made it a lot of the excitement. And I love race cars, and and I like I like the challenge of also thinking about not just the business but the competition side. And that's part of why I said to Marcus Smith, Marcus, I really do want to go back in the garage because that's where I started. And maybe it'll be a full circle kind of thing for me. I don't know. So. Well, you hit on it there about season two. There was chatter around. It wasn't going to happen. I know that uh, I had heard a bunch of different rumors. Who knows what was true, what wasn't true. But season two happened. As you said, season three is going to happen. There's already been tweets about what's to come and the little emojis with the pen. And, you know, we know that that means getting ready to sign some folks and whatnot. The pen. <laughs> the pen. The pen. Um, so season three is going to happen. Let's start with just focusing on that. What can you tell us about season three? How is it going to be any different than what we've seen before? What are you thinking? What's already being mapped out for season three? So... I can't tell you what month, I can't tell you what time, because literally if we had done this yesterday and we were on the phone at six o'clock in the evening, I would have said, hey, I got to run because last night we were on about an hour Zoom call with television again. And so like that's been probably the largest part of my last month, the last 30 days is looking at what are the ways that we can televise this and even up the ante a little bit and do it better, bigger, faster, stronger, better. I got to tell you, when, when you can grab a million viewers a week, you got something, right? And we did that six weeks in a row and they did it the year before. And, you know, it's like, okay, now how can we put that on steroids? And there's a model that, that we have that we presented and it could happen. And if it happens, it's going to surprise a lot of people. But here's the other thing that's important to know is the reason that I think I refer to this year happening and more to come is because in the off season, there was four new investors. There was a round of investments and three of the four investors, one's an agency and one of the largest in the United States, by the way, and sports agency. But there's also three investors personally who happen to own other sports franchises like major league baseball or hockey or mls soccer or nfl football and they saw the value of srx and they partnered with us and like three weeks ago signed all the paperwork deposited the money and now we have investors that make this thing like not just a one-year view i literally have laying on my desk right here to my this side left, there's a three to five year business plan that I'm presenting to the owners 
of where can we go 2023, 24 and 25? Do we grow it? Do we go from six races to eight? Do we go from six to a all-star race of the all-stars? Do we, there's a whole lot of models we're looking at and it's my job to pencil those out, present them to them and say, Hey, this is where we're going to take you because now there's not just the ownership group. There's the ownership group and four new people that have invested. So it's really exciting. Like, um, so that's why I'm telling you there, there is more to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could tell you on this podcast, okay, we're, we're June the 5th through July the 23rd. But at this point, we don't know that. But we do know we're going to be on television. We do know we're going to be um, a force to be reckoned with. We just don't know exactly where we're going to be and when. Yeah. when And that's understandable because you still have some time to sort all that out. I like the fact that as you as you just explained and shared with us that this is now something that it do, it doesn't have to be a one year at a time dream. There's now the resources that you can look long term. Yeah. See, and that's what I think kind of hurt it. By hurt it in private, there was this chatter in Mooresville, North Carolina. You know how the, this, this is the hub of racing, right? There was chatter all around here, kind of like um, SRX you know, is it sustainable? Um, is it coming back? And when they came back in two weeks or so after they, they went on vacation after the last race of the first year, I don't know if you heard, they laid off a lot of people. And a lot of people got mad. And some of those people I tried to hire back and they're like, no way. Cause you're going to run your six races and lay me off. I'm like, look, I didn't take this job to plan on myself quitting after six months. Um, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. And so here's the other thing about me. It's half crazy. I'm willing to bet on myself. Like, but I don't mean that arrogantly at all, but like, if I decide I'm going to do something, I believe that we're going to get done what I set out to do. Um, and so that was part of the challenge. I, I forced myself to like, how can we take this, not just to 2022 and the people that are working around me are like thinking, man, we just got to get through this year, man. We gotta, and I'm thinking, we got to get this through this year and do it so well that like Disney, you know, Walt Disney has a quote and Disneyland, you can see the quote down there. And it's literally, we must do this so well that people tell other people and they want to come see it again and again and again. That's what I wanted to do with SRX. I didn't want to be a one shot wonder. I didn't want one more year and then wonder what the future is. We now know the future is more than one year. If we execute, we execute well, it's going to be it's going to be just fun. And by the way, we're not in competition with anybody. We're not in competition with NASCAR. We're not in competition with IndyCar. We're not in competition with uh, Formula One. We're not in competition with NHRA. We're our own niche. And I am smart enough, Lord willing, to know that the 10,000 pound gorilla is NASCAR. And I, like I told Tony Stewart, I'm just glad to be a monkey hanging on the tree. And so um, he busted out laughing like you are. And so for, for me, if you understand your position in the, in the hierarchy of racing, right, we, we have some of the best IndyCar drivers and NASCAR drivers, and we're not stepping on anybody's schedule. So the other thing we're working with TV is we got to stay away from everybody's schedule so we don't have a conflict. If you look at it, Mr. Penske gave us his approval on three drivers to drive this year in SRX. People say, well, what's IndyCar think of you? Well, Roger gave us Joseph Newgarden. That's a big get. He gave us Ernie Francis Jr. That's a big get. And he gave us Ryan Blaney. That's a big get. And so 
like then they then they're like well um how's everything with nascar well rick hendrick gave us chase elliott and roger gave us rick i mean uh ryan and nascar and i've met numerous times and we're in a good place so that's my whole goal was to have us understand at srx where do we fit in the ecosystem of car racing and if you're comfortable being like call it uh maybe we'll we'll use an old commercial we're, we're gonna be avis but we're gonna try harder right we don't we don't mind you know there's a lot of pizza places right there's there's pizza hut there's papa john's there's domino's there's marco's but they're all doing okay last time i checked right so we're one of the many but we want to be one of the best at being one of the many I'm, I'm glad you brought up NASCAR and IndyCar and, and all, all of these other series. And I know that Tony and Ray and everybody have said that since this, since SRX was founded, that we're not in competition with anybody. We want to be different. We, we want to just be good at what we're doing. And I'm glad that you brought up there about NASCAR, because I'm sure you know, there has been so much chatter that NASCAR and SRX don't like each other. NASCAR does not like what SRS is doing. But you just said right there that you've met with NASCAR and everything is fine. I can tell you as late as um, the Daytona race a couple of weeks ago, I sat in their building, a guest of them with Steve O'Donnell. Jim France himself walked in the room and we talked about SRX. We talked about the season. We went over, is there anything we could have done different, better? They offered, is there anything we can do to help? Like, I... There, I can't emphasize enough, but I think it goes back to, remember when I said in the very beginning of this interview, I told George and Sammy, there's three things I want to do. One is I want to check off a block with NASCAR. Two, I want to talk to Ray. Three, I want to talk to Tony Stewart. The part I didn't tell you yet was over the holidays, I checked in with the highest level of NASCAR in Daytona Beach because I didn't want to blow up 32 years of relational equity in the garage taking a job with SRX when I could have probably went and hung my shingle somewhere at a cup shop or an Xfinity shop or whatever. Right. Like, I don't mean that arrogantly. I just mean somebody would have thought my brain had something left in it that was worth paying me something to do something. Um, and I could have got excited about it, but I didn't want to blow up because whatever it is that I am and whatever it is that I do, I, I got to remember that it was because we did really well in NASCAR and I'll never forget that, you know? So you go back to my beginning days of the 30 some year ride full time in the sport. It's 40 some years when you count not full time, but full time, it's been a heck of a journey been a heck of a ride. Right. You mentioned a few minutes ago, Don, that 1 million viewer mark that SRX has hit. Is that the mark? Is that the number that everybody, or at least you all chase with, with this program for those six weeks is that if you can hit a million viewers, that's, uh, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. For me, my mark was, and, and some of the TV people we talked to is like, if you can get a million viewers, you can get people's attention. But my goal was always to have a million every week. And like, if I was a shadow under that, I, I was not a happy American. I just wasn't like, I'm like, man, we can do better than that. Um, I don't care about the weather. I don't want to hear about the excuses. I just think that's a magic number. And it's neat, interesting conversations with TV networks. What you hear is that is a sweet spot. Because if you look at certain kinds of other sports, I don't want to name out other sports or even other racing series. A million is a big number. Like when you see cups doing two million or plus and 
and and they're the big gorilla. Um, a million is 50% of that, but it's also puts you in a pretty good spot in the rest of the ecosystem of racing. So um, I, 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 for me, it's a sweet spot. A million is a sweet spot. I, I'd like to have a million and a half. So I'd be lying if I said that my three, five-year business plan isn't that it doesn't grow. But part of that growth is going to come from who we put in the cars, where we race them, and um, what we do beside racing race cars. Right. I think one of the things that fans and listeners will take away from this is that you you very much are the always working full speed ahead type of personality. I'm on the gas. I, I literally know it's the loud pedal on the right and um, I know how to feather it. Um, sometimes I drive it in too deep. Um, you know, that's that's people will just tell you that, like if they negotiated with me on a deal, they'll say, man, he drives it in hard. I do, but I've been really blessed in this thing. Like a lot of the properties I've represented and I've worked with were, were just stellar properties. Like to have on your resume that you worked for the Earnhardt seven time NASCAR Winston cup champion is huge to say that you were there when DEI came out of the ground, literally like the building didn't exist. We hit golf balls in that field when I started there. And we built an empire. And then, you know, to say that you worked for the, the France family and the Smith family, I mean, that's really the odd couple, right? I mean, how many people can say they work from both? And, and, and actually, we all still talk, right? For me, the poet would say, I took the road less traveled by, but, oh, it's made all the difference. Like, I wouldn't swap any of the experiences I've had because I've been so blessed to be with some of the greatest racing families in the sport. And now this, that the personal bucket list, professional bucket list, I want to give back. So the decisions I make aren't driven by how much will they pay me? It's how much will I get of excitement, enjoyment, and how much can we move the needle in this one? And Oh, by the way, I, I, I picked up a shekel or two. There's no way that we could go through everything that you've done in your career, but you touched on it there. Dale Earnhardt, the Earnhardts, the France family, the Smith family, of course, with Speedway Motorsports. Uh, you started, though, what, in 1992-ish, I believe, and, and Alan Kowicki, which is also a very recognizable name in in racing for NASCAR fans. Yeah, and the unknown thing about Kowicki and I's relationship is since 1986. So um, you weren't even around then, right? <laughs> But in 1986, here's what's interesting. I worked for Allen already. I, here's what's crazy. I, I was with a chain of Ford dealerships up in, you know, Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. They were all Ford. Then they got some caddy. Then they went, you know, they ended up being a mega dealer. But we had the largest SBO high-performance motorsports dealership in the United States at that time. And so we got into racing. And we started sponsoring Alan Kowicki's car and the Wood Brothers car in 1986. And Kowicki wins Rookie of the Year in 1986. He was such a loner. And he and I became so close so fast that like the week of the NASCAR banquet, he calls me up and he's like, hey, he always could call after nine o'clock at night. He's like, hey, uh, what are you and Cindy doing this week? And I'm like taking care of four kids, you know, because we had four little children. Right. And he's like, uh, well, um, 
they just told me with this rookie of the year thing, I get four tickets to the banquet and I'm here and I've got Julie with me, but I don't know. Do you and Cindy want to come to the banquet? And I'm like, um, let me ask Cindy, but I, I think, I think I do. I asked my wife, she's like, sure. Cause she really liked Alan. So literally the, the rookie of the year, 1986 banquet, I'm sitting at Alan's table with my wife and I'm telling you, my wife looks at me 1986. And she said, I can tell by the look in your eye, someday you're going car racing. My whole life, if you don't know this part too, when you Google me, is I'm either in the car business, I go to college, and I'm and I'm racing my own dirt modifies and stuff like that when I'm and I'm terrible at it, by the way. Terrible. It's just like I made a better car owner than I did a driver by far. And so, like literally the progression was automobiles, racing automobiles, racing automobiles, racing. Like cars were always around me and it was always a part of my life. So it, I, I can't, I can't tell you again, how, how blessed I was for the journey. You know? <laughs> Obviously one of the important things in business is that people have to trust you. And I mean, that's not something that you can just say, Hey, trust me. I mean, you have to build that of course, over time. How do you think that you've been able to do that? Because in all of your roles, Don, you have had to have very close relationships with drivers or owners or sanctioning bodies or racetrack uh, operators, whatever it may be. So I don't know if it, there's a way to explain kind of how you can, you know, how you build that over time, but that's important is because people aren't going to work with you if they don't trust you in business. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. And, and a good, a good assessment. It, it's kind of like, I'm going to take it from business to Twitter, then back to business. There's people in business that that don't like me because they either negotiated too hard, you know, they, they they thought my, you know, I was charging too much for Earnhardt or, you know, I drove too hard to bargain or it was our way or the highway, right? Kind of like Twitter. They either love you or they hate you, right? I, I don't know. There's a lot of people down the middle, like Switzerland on me, right? Um, it, it's, but here's the thing I did. I always tried to say from my heart what I meant even if it got me in trouble, I was going to tell you the truth. And after a while, if you repeatedly do that and what you do, your works back up your words, then people's trust gets deeper and deeper. And in, in the case of Dale, that's what happened. In the case of George Pine came to DEI when he first started at NASCAR for me to give him some instructions on licensing per Brian France go spend a week with Hawk and see what they do. And I think it'll help NASCAR licensing division and George and I, that's how we became friends. So when he offered me to come off of the contract to go full time, it was Oh five. So that was like 17 years ago, but George and I spent time together in the mid to late nineties. So if you think about it, you're talking about 24, 25 years ago, I worked for him, went to work for him again in the middle, and now here it is later. That's what I'd call trust. Because if I didn't blow up a bridge in one of those previous two, why in the heck would he call me a third time and offer me a role as a CEO and now as a as a part owner? So, like, I, I guess what you do is, and you look, you're going to look back at your life at a certain point, and you're going to go, "Wow, I've always gotten along well with so and so." 
And I've always gotten good interviews from so-and-so. You know why? Because you've built trust. But there was times I, I, I made my own mistakes, right? And we all learn through the process. I, I'd like to think that I negotiate differently today than I did in 1993. But I'd also like to think that I still will get the same amount of money or I might get the same amount of years, but I'm going to do it with different style. And I'm going to offer them to make sure we, we both win kind of thing. So that's a progression you go through. But um, for me, the business of racing is as exciting as the racing itself. But here's the thing. When I'm, in, when I'm at a car race, I'm earbuds in. I'm scanning. I'm like I literally am on the, the, the device and I'm listening to two or three race car drivers at a time. I want to know what their fuel strategy is. I want to know if it's two or four tires. I want to know who, who, who lost fourth gear. I want to know whose steering box is tight. I want to know whose steering box isn't working. I want to know. Like, that's how vested I am in this thing. If you watch me in a suite, I'm on the, I'm on the headset and I'm prancing the floor unless Bruton Smith's calling me over and saying, tell me what's going on. And then I take my headset off and I tell him what's going on. Right. So um, I'm not a really good suite attendee because when I'm, I'm there, people would be like, would you take the dang earbuds off and talk to us? Um, so, yeah, but you love racing, you know, tying it back into, again, your previous role that you had, you spent so much time with at Speedway Motorsports, obviously you had to have a relationship with, with drivers. That was one of your responsibilities, of course, because you were kind of a liaison and so on and so forth and worked with race, with the racetracks. But do you think that's been an advantage now when you look at what you're doing? Because you you have those relationships you know those drivers so now when you do more on the business side that has to be an advantage to already know these drivers everybody in the garage and have those relationships yeah i'd say that that was a huge plus to me because like you know this is my rolodex these days right so when you look at your iphone I, i look at my contact list really different than some people may look at theirs I don't look at it and go, oh, wow, I've got so-and-so's number. I look at it like, this is crazy, but you asked me a question a minute ago about trust. They trusted me enough to give me their actual cell phone number. They trust me enough to actually text me once in a while. Or like I can text them and actually respond. And that's how you build those kind of relationships. So when I got to SRX, there was no set roster of drivers. Not one was signed. But because I had my Rolodex, if you will, I just dialed for drivers instead of dialed for dollars this time. I'm, I'm dialing for, do- for drivers. And most of the questions were, if Ray's gone, who's running it? Who's taking care of the cars? How, you think this thing's going to make it? You know, da, da, da. I had to go through all that. But because I had one ounce of, of credibility there. And, and some of the funny ones were like dealing with the IndyCar guys who maybe knew me through Roger Penske or Tim Sindrick or Chip Ganassi or Jimmy Johnson, right? Or GoPro Motorplex, because I saw him go around in a go-kart with Austin Sindrick, like Will Power, you know, whatever. Like, I am telling you, even those guys calling them on the phone, it was a pleasure that they were like, Huck, oh, you're Earnhardt's guy or whatever, right? And 
it was neat because one of the the great stories in this thing was Elio Castroneves. Like we not only signed, but he and I started negotiating. And then in the course of the negotiations, he says, look, I didn't win an SRX race all year last year. There's another thing I want to do. And they tell me you're the man that can get it done. I'm like, what do you want to do, Elio? And he says, I want to drive him to Daytona 500. And I said, that, 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 that really be cool. You know, I'd love to help you with that. He said, you can. How about if I win an SRX race, you help me get a ride in the Daytona 500. I said, you got a deal. The son of a gun goes out and wins the first SRX race of the year, climbs the fence, comes down for the interview. I don't know if you saw it on national television, national CBS primetime live says, I want to tell NASCAR I'm coming to the Daytona 500 and Hawk told me he's getting me a ride. So, oh my goodness. So I also, by the way, met with NASCAR about that. And I have talked to several car owners about that. And I'm literally texted Elio twice this week about it. And I'm going to help him with it because I said I would. So it's a pleasure. I can't think of, I want to say this. I can't think of one driver I called that hung up the phone, you know, like from any discipline of racing, you know, they may have a schedule conflict or whatever, but um, I was really blessed. They took the call, they studied their schedule and some we made work for one race and some worked for six races. Right. I know that, yeah, LAO and the Daytona 500 is a work in progress. So we'll all stay tuned for that. I have uh, two more questions for you, Don. Is there concern at all or do, or do you even think about whether the shine will wear off SRX? And what I mean by that is obviously when it came and debuted the first season and even the second season, it comes back and everybody's excited because it's something different. It's something new. It's, you know, drivers from all different disciplines. It's different, right? Everybody gets excited about that. So is there any concern that if you try to do this for too long, that eventually people are going to be like, well, it's not special anymore? Or does that go back to what we touched on earlier, where you're saying that there's always the push to how do we outdo it? How do we take it up a notch? Great question. Two things there, Kelly. One is, you know, if you think about it, it's really hard to beat an inaugural. So go back to the inaugural Kentucky race. We had so many people there, we couldn't fit them in. We paid the price the second year. Not all those people came back and it was ugly, right? You, you look at the inaugural Brickyard, massive amount of people, 350,000 people. And then the shine kind of, right? So then you look at the inaugural Roval, same thing. Inaugural Dirt at Bristol, inaugural truck race in Eldora. And I'm not singling out any NASCAR or IndyCar or Formula One. I'm just saying inaugural football games have the same thing, right? When you have two Titans meet for the first time, everybody wants to be there. Like I was at the Tyson Fury fight in Las Vegas, ringside, blessed to be there with the Smith family. And I'm telling you, the second time they fought, the tickets weren't in as great a demand because the luster was kind of off. Everybody saw who won the first one, right? So the, the first thing that it did mentally with the ownership group was say, look, I'm going to do the best I can do in year two, but please realize you could ratchet down your TV ratings some and in grandstand attendance some and actual what you feel as media buzz some because you went from an inaugural new startup, brand new, shiny Corvette, Ferrari or Mustang, if you will, 
to now everybody knew what you looked like. What are you going to do different? Right. So we got a couple different drivers. And now that's why I said you touched on it in two ways. The evolution of it now is what's going to keep some shine on this thing. So there could be format changes. There's going to be driver changes. Maybe the way we award points, you know, you got to keep it cutting edge because if you keep on doing what you've always been doing, you're going to keep on getting what you have always got. And I don't want to sit in a row. I don't want to, I don't want to be on the side of the road. I'm the guy because I'm a Yankee. I'm a Pennsylvania Yankee. I've been in a lot of snow in my life. I'm going to tell you, when I get stuck in the snow, I don't sit there spinning my tires. I'm the guy who gets out and tries putting wood under the tire, salt under the tire, stones under the tire, chains under the tire, but I'm getting out. Some way, come heck or high water, I'm getting out of there. I'm not going to sit there just spinning my tires. That's what we got to do with SRX. The easy thing would be right off the laurels of year one and say, well, we did year two and that was great. If year two isn't better, if year three isn't better than year two, I honestly, I didn't do my job well. Like it doesn't mean the attendance is always going to be higher. It doesn't mean the ratings are always going to be higher, but the overall impact of the year, when you look at the whole body of work, it should be better in year three than it was year two in certain areas, or I just didn't do my job. And so that's my, one of my goals on three to five year business plan is every year something should be better than it was the year before. And every year you make mistakes, but the one who doesn't learn from his mistakes is the one that usually loses the shine the quickest. Right. All right. One last thing. Let's wrap it up with this. Obviously, again, you've given us a perfect explanation or, or have shown that you love racing. You love business. You have SRX and Hawk Sports Management. I was going to ask if there's anything next for you, but it seems like this, uh, this, these things are probably are what's going to have you settled maybe for the next uh, foreseeable future, right? Not going to take on anything else on your plate right now? Well, personally, I wouldn't take anything on, but I never say no. And here's why. There's two or three men that I think the world of that they said to me, Hawk, I need you to help me with this. I'd, I'd find a way. Um, and there's one or two companies, entities, I'll just leave it at that, that have been very good to me over the years. And if they said, hey, I need some help, I think you can help in this area. See, I, I, I'm a firm believer in never say never. And so, like, I am perfectly content that my decisions, again, aren't driven by money. They're driven by, you know, you know what I actually want to do, Kelly, is, I'm going to leave some marks that are good. I want to pay it forward and I want to help the next generation fill the void and the gap and the holes and make racing something that is really sustainable. And so if I can any way make a contribution, that's why I'm, I'm not going to say no to anything. Um, I'm just going to say I got, I've got my hands full right now, but I'll give you this quote that will describe best how I feel. Nobody pays to go to the circus to see a clown just juggle one ball. So I only have three right now. If I had to, I could juggle four, uh, you know, and I don't mean that arrogantly, but nobody wants to see a clown. that just juggles one ball. Why would you pay money for that? Think about that. So right now I'm juggling three. They're not all equally demanding. So if the right person contacted me or the right entity, and I'm telling you, 
right here in his brain of mine, there are five things that cross my mind. Like if he ever called or they ever called, I'd have to consider it. And I bet you my wife could name all five. <laughs> so, I just, like that. I like the analogy. Nobody pays to see a clown juggle one ball. Yeah, that's not juggle. You're just playing catch with yourself. Yeah. They, bingo. That's the follow-up line. If, if, and that's, people say, well, you shouldn't have to multitask if you're a good lead. I, I'm telling you, it, it, this is business 101 from the clown at the circus. No one pays to see a clown juggle one ball. And if you do, if somebody pays, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch them and see how humored they are watching a clown just go like this, right? Right. I like that. I like that a lot. It's a great way to end it. Don, as we said before we uh, came on, it's been almost a year in the making of trying to to have this conversation, but it was well worth the wait because as we've just discussed for the past almost hour, you have a lot going on and I appreciate the insight very much. Well, I want to thank you because it was a year in the making, but I'm telling you over my career, the media has been good to me. They've been, they've been good to me. They've been fair to me. Um, they trust me for side opinions and they trust me for outright upfront opinions. And I'm going to tell you, thank you for what you do and your colleagues. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed, but over the years, I've always tried to walk through the media center. Um, I'm not told to, I'm not made to, I'm not asked to. I did it because without you folks relaying what you see in the scene and behind the scene, we're fried, we're toast. And if we ever get away from taking care of the media that take care of us, we're going to lose a slice of this pie. I don't ever want to give up. So as long as I'm around, I've got a heart and a mind and a, and a, a willingness and time for the media. So I'm going to tell you, Kelly, thanks for not only the podcast, but thanks for what you do online and you do digitally and you do just in person and standing there with the willingness to hold a microphone and ask a tough question. That's not easy. And anybody that want wants to criticize you all, tell them to grab a microphone and come do it sometime. Stick a microphone in Kyle Bush's face sometime or Tony Stewart's. You know, thank you for doing that. My thanks, of course, to Don for coming on the podcast, sharing so much, so much news and little nuggets and insight and everything you could possibly want. I appreciate him being so open and honest and trusting me to come on the podcast and share all of that. Don, as you heard him say, is constantly around the media center. Saw him over the weekend, in fact, coming in at the Charlotte Roval to see what was going on and uh, conversate with everyone, stops by to say hello. That's what I love about Don. He's very visible and always willing to chat. And I appreciate him coming on the podcast and doing that. And I hope you all enjoyed it. So thank you again, Don. And also thank you because I believe he also signed up for Patreon. I think it was probably because he wanted to see what I was saying about him on there <laughs> before this podcast dropped. But I appreciate him doing that. Let me also thank Anthony Abate because he also signed up for Patreon this week. That is patreon.com forward slash Kelly Crandall. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Anthony. Patreon, for those who don't know or have been thinking if they want to go over there and check it out, that is additional content for the podcast, behind the scenes content. It is behind a paywall because as I said, it's extra content in addition to the podcast. My show notes, a preview of the episodes. You can hang out with me on Zoom. You can ask questions of the guests. You're gonna find out who the guests are long before they are mentioned in this part of the episodes each week. So thank you, Don. Thank you, Anthony, for signing up. And if you haven't signed up for Patreon, as I said, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Kelly Crandall and check that out. 
Or you can also leave me a rating and review and let me know what you think of this episode or any that you may have listened to recently in the archives. We've had some really fun conversations this year. Uh, We're winding down the season very, very quickly. We've got a couple more episodes to go. So let me know what you think. You can leave a rating, a review. You can also go to social media. My Twitter handle is at Kelly Crandall. You can go to Facebook and engage with me there. Just make sure you're looking for the public Facebook page. Instagram, my name is the same over there, no fancy handle. Or on LinkedIn, if you want to reach out over there, maybe have some opportunities or you want to promote something, you want to come on the podcast or you have someone you think would be good on the podcast, so let me know. I'm open to any and all feedback. I appreciate the sport each week. That is all for this episode. As I said, we're cruising line along. We've got a couple more to go. Next week, we're going to go into the garage in a little bit of a different way. We're going to go into the garage and talk to Andrew Combs. He is the chef, executive chef for Stuart Haas Racing. We're going to learn what it's like to feed teams on race weekend and what goes into that is probably far more intricate than what you might think. Andrew and I had a great time talking about food. We're going to do that next week right here on the Racing Writers Podcast.